Welcome to Into the Well. I'm your host, Ryan Wilms. I started this show as a place to share my experiences and my journey towards living authentically and mindfully, and also to learn from those who are truly walking the path, healing themselves and inspiring others. By balancing the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, we can learn to live in harmony with ourselves and our environment. We'll be exploring different tools and modalities used to create sustainable well-being for a fulfilling life. So thank you for joining me. On this episode, I had a chance to sit down with Maria Sharapova as a part of a project we were both shooting for Tonal. For the feature on their website, we got to showcase our lifestyle routines and both working out on the machine and a short part of the interview. But I get a chance to host the full conversation here in this podcast where we got to talk about strength training, balance, becoming the number one tennis player in the world, what it was like having her father as her coach, and just growing into herself, getting to know herself through creativity, through design and architecture, expanding beyond tennis and sport, and how that helped her gain confidence and make a little bit easier transition from retiring from tennis just over a year ago, and how her life took a new form um, over the last year with a lot of isolation and not so much travel and how she was able to create space for herself to explore new things and build upon some of her foundational strengths that she already had. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. It was a real pleasure to speak with her. She was very insightful, you know, very well accomplished and certainly a very inspiring woman. All right. I, uh, We're wanna, here. Yes, we are. And thanks uh, for being here and of for course. your time. I'm excited to, to speak and uh, It's chat. nice to be with people finally after <laughs> yeah. all this time. Absolutely. So on that note, I'm curious to know sort of where you're at today, you know, coming out of a year of, you know, a lot of changes, a lot of turmoil, a lot of right. unknown. It seems like yeah. personally you've been on quite a sort of journey as well with your career and with personal life. Yeah. How are you feeling well, it was certainly a very different year to what I think um, all of us expected from a, an ambition perspective, mm. from a life experience perspective. So many things uh, changed. Um, you know, our vision was shaped in an entirely new way. Mm. Um, I came off of a retirement. I thought that I would be spontaneous and travel the world mm. and see my friends and family and, and commit my time and my presence to the people um, that were lacking for a long time in my life because of my schedule and mm-hmm. my commitments. And that was all taken away from from all of us very quickly. And mm-hmm. so I had to find new ways to be spontaneous. And most of that time was spent at home. It was spent by trying to find little moments in my life that would keep me happy and passionate and, and entertained, right? Because mm-hmm. we all need little moments of uplifting and good energy in our life. Yeah, absolutely. Something I've been sort of thinking about and trying to practice more myself lately is this sort of accepting reality. And, you know, that's been a huge thing, I feel like, this year where people are, like, waiting for three months down the road and then things are going to change. But yes. to sort of find those moments, we need to sort of accept the reality and be present with it. Yeah, and it's also about, you know, not finding ways of constantly being disappointed, mm-hmm. being realistic about the reality as mm-hmm. well. So something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is the sort of idea of accepting reality. And with so much sort of unknown or adversity that comes up, it's such a key part to sort of moving forward and being able to realistically approach the situation. I wonder how you sort of manage that with with all the sort of unknown. 
Yeah, I really like how you applied the word with the word realistic and and that concept because reality was a huge part of my upbringing and also my sport. Like mm. when you think of getting your feet, you know, back down on the ground, not getting too ahead of yourself, mm. staying present no matter how many wins or losses I had every day was a new challenge and a new set of realities that I had to face and I lost a lot more than I won and that's <laughs> the cruel reality of sport mm-hmm. and in a sense this past year although I didn't have those feelings of ups and downs through victories and losses I still felt this this emotional fatigue of not knowing what the future was like we all felt um but I wanted to stay in the present because I was scared of the future um I wanted to experience the beautiful things of life but yet I couldn't and I didn't know when um mm-hmm. so to have these moments of being around people to have conversations to be a little bit more social I'm like a hermit by nature like I can stay home and enjoy myself and be perfectly fine but I don't think you grow out of those moments like mm-hmm. it's great to be comfortable but it, it's the moments where you're slightly uncomfortable and there is a bit more pressure that you have to come out on top and you you truly understand what's inside of you right what you're yeah. made of And I think like you referenced obviously playing sports and and tennis yeah I think sport is such a potent sort of metaphor or a microcosm for that experience and staying present and not getting too far ahead of yourself like you know you've got the more you want them Particularly when you lose yeah. <laughs> you're like oh okay I have a lot of things to work on and it was always in the moments where I didn't think that I fulfilled my full potential right I mm-hmm. I worked up to a certain point and I got to myself to an opportunity to a moment where I could finish it off it was right in front of my eyes and mm-hmm. and I didn't mm-hmm. it was those moments that made me look even deeper to mm-hmm. try to find solutions and getting back to my team getting back to the drawing board and starting from the basics which I I think is incredibly important in in life and not just in sport mhm yeah and the idea of winning and losing I think can be applied to sport and career in so many ways but with athletes especially most people are losing most of the time. Yes. And uh, you know, we champion- It's very dramatic. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, it's yeah. a lot of sort of rejection and failure which can be oppressive but can also be, you know, inspiration to to learn as well and and be an opportunity. Yeah, I I try to see the good in in the moments of failure and in the moments um when I lost. I although there was a lot of drama between those shifts and those changes mm-hmm. because you have to make so many decisions so quickly mm-hmm. um it's hard not to get overwhelmed with emotion but i tried to stay as level-headed as i could no matter that that was my attitude on the court as mm-hmm. well like i i didn't want my opponents to draw from my energy whether mm-hmm. i was feeling good confident or not so well mm-hmm. um i i wanted to be level-headed and i think I've tried to take that approach in in the many things that I'm I'm doing now whether it's business whether it's family oriented um just to see things like I just had a recent birthday and and one of my family members at home um they they describe your wishes like they go into this 3 minute um wish list for you and and one of them that was so strong um is they said I hope that everything that comes your way you just take it like very level headed with a fresh breath of air and mm-hmm. you either take it or you let it pass and that's kind of how life is at the moment right mm-hmm. you 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 have a choice of what to accept and not to accept and you also have a choice of what to let go yeah yeah and it, it can be very hard to do that i wonder like as your sort of career progressed how did your sort of mental approach to the sport and life 
evolve? Yeah, I, I thought that my my mentality was one of my my greatest strengths, and I'm not entirely sure wh- where that came from. I had a slightly difficult upbringing. I had many shifts and turns and changes in my life, and um, my parents weren't very wealthy. Like they had the necessities in life, but didn't have so many opportunities. But the biggest gift they gave me was this uh, ability to say. We want you to do something that you really love, um, but also having a very realistic point of view on it, like knowing that, okay, if if the next few years don't work out or you're not going to become top 10 or mm-hmm. top 20 in the world or even number one in the world, it's okay, but we're going to do everything we can um, to approach it, to find the right people at the right time and... And they're also very selfless. Like my, my father, you know, although he thinks he's an, an, some incredible athlete, I always tell him, no, dad, you're a recreational athlete. Um, but he would always find the, the resources to make me better. And then he would learn from that. And he was my coach and I won uh, three Grand Slams with him. So it was quite an incredible journey that we had together. But there's also an element of I, as an individual, as a female, as a woman, I wanted to grow up on my own and I wanted to Mm. do it on my own. So there was this interesting dynamic in the middle of my career of letting go as well and and just maturing, which um, sport really allows you to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I think like the idea of finding something you love is like a beautiful concept, but not that many people, you know, are encouraged to do that for one and then are able to find that thing. For you, how is it to sort of find that thing that you love doing and be able to pursue it, but then also have so much sort of pressure and like the amount of work that you have to put into the thing that you love is so intense? I was very lucky that I I found something naturally that I loved from from the beginning before I even had to make a choice about love and and about a career. It was Mm -hmm. kind of made for me organically. And so Mm -hmm. for that, I was very fortunate. Um, But the element of going through that career for so many years, you always have to find pieces that that continue to make it, like, lovely, right? Make it beautiful and make it exciting um, and motivational. And that's really hard because it's it's very repetitive. The cities are the same. The Mm -hmm. people are the same. The sport is the same. Your rackets are the same. It's like so many similarities every single day. And yet, every day is a challenge because you have yeah. a different opponent, you have different weather, you have different conditions. So it's finding this balance of knowing that it's repetitive and can occasionally be boring, but also extracting like the spontaneous moments from it and the challenges that you face and, and better, stronger, greater opponents than you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is such a journey from starting out at such a young age to eventually becoming number one in the world. Um and you can only make that journey like sort of 1% each day, you know, by hitting each ball. and it's Even like, less. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I wish it was 1%. Yeah. It's like 0.01%. Yeah, yeah. It's a small percentage every day that you work towards. And some days, um, I sometimes said that some days, the toughest days, like when I would sit and I'd have to sit down on a bench and just sit there for 20 minutes on a water break because I couldn't find the spark on a day, right? Yeah. Or something that I was working on wasn't going my way and... And it's those those talks with your coach, with your physio, or someone in your life that was present during that practice. And for me, it was my father. Um, they would say things a certain way, and it would just hit you. Mm-hmm. And you, and I'd leave that practice, and I said, "There's nothing I actually did technically that day, mm-hmm. but mentally, I gained so much from from those few minutes of conversation." So every day, you like you you 
you pull things, you pull knowledge from the people that you're with. And that I was really grateful for the people I got to work with. Yeah. Well, I think having that sort of support, coaching, mentor, all of those things are so amazing. And one of the things that's interesting is that sort of when an athlete's career is over, a lot of them don't have that anymore. They don't have that sort of system in place. With your sort of transition in the last year, do you still have that system in place? Obviously, with your your father, I imagine he's still someone. He's still very involved (laughs) in a lot of things. Um, And there's no doubt that my life has, has changed and shifted since I stopped playing. But I... I think what really helped me was like being comfortable with the fact that once I finished and I made up that mind and I really committed to to saying this is the end. Mm-hmm. Um, it may, it of course, brings you to the past and it brings you to the moments where you think you could have done something different or maybe you know I sometimes think like what if I could have pulled through? I know my shoulder wasn't great toward the end, but was there something I could have done differently? A type mm-hmm. of you know a I don't know, something. Yeah. And and as I draw to those experiences, I, I realistically think to myself, no, I actually did everything I could. And that mm-hmm. puts me at peace. Yeah. And the value, like time is very valuable. I think we, we've yeah. all, you know, learned that along our journeys in our lives. And toward the end of my career, I just realized that the value in my time was so precious. Um, and I could be applying that value in, in other avenues in my life. And they didn't necessarily have to be work streams. They didn't have mm-hmm. to be doing things all the time like I was doing during the first chapter of my life. Um, but I really felt that I could have applied the time that I was doing to constantly healing my body and just trying to get back on the court mm-hmm. to train, that I could be bringing value in other things in my life. And I think that's what really helped me settle with that decision and just make me comfortable about where I was at. Yeah. Well, I think like our culture you know, is so much about doing and achieving all the time. And it's such a tough shift when you're so ingrained in that to just be and exist. And yes. in a way that is still, you know, it's productive exactly. to sort of rest and just have that time and, yeah. and sit in that space. In sport, that's considered recovery. Like yeah. The time, you know, you recover sometimes more important than, than your output on the mm-hmm. court. Like the week before Grand Slam, you know, usually... You know, some players think, oh, that's when I need to get more time on the court. That's when I need to get reps in. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was actually the opposite. I I considered that time to be like, I already put in the work. I put mm-hmm. months of work in. I've got my matches in. I've spent enough time with my team. I have all the knowledge. My body's ready. It's set. It's toned. Um, and all I want to do is just go out there and let everything happen, mm-hmm. right? Of course, I have to think, depending on my opponent's strategy and, mm-hmm. and all of that, Um but I wanted just to let it go and not not think like, oh, I have so much to do the last minute and put extra pressure on myself. Yeah. That sort of you know topic of recovery has become a lot more popular, I guess, in the last few years. But is that something that you've been sort of practicing for most of your career? Yeah, I always, I believed in warm-ups and recovery throughout my entire career because I wasn't a naturally gifted athlete. Like, things didn't flow for me. Like things flowed on the court. Um, when I had this like positive mentality, when I was in this strong state of mind, but I had to work for it and Mm -hmm. I had to work for it, um, every single day. And when I wasn't working for it, I would feel guilty that I wasn't working toward, toward my goals. So recovery was just as important, um, as, as competing because Mm -hmm. it was when I would give my body a break and I would, and a break, not just for the body so that it doesn't break down, but a break for the mind mm-hmm. to 
to go out on the practice court when no one's there watching and, and to keep doing the same thing that you've been doing for over 20 years. Yeah. Like you need that reset button. You need that recovery um, in order to, to find the little sparks again. Yeah. So I wonder when you think back on your career now, those like kind of moments that help push you forward or moments of joy, is, it, is there a mix of sort of winning championships and also moments of just like you and your coach or you and your father? Yeah, there were a few things that made me happy on tour. Um, I truly loved training. Like yeah. I, I loved the idea of seeing significant results mm-hmm. in in my improvements. And and sometimes that happened like daily. I would see little shifts, and sometimes that would happen annually, depending on like a, a surface change. Like mm-hmm. I would say, oh wow, I feel more stable on the court, or wow, on clay courts. When I was younger, I didn't slide so well, and now I'm like lower to the ground, and mm-hmm. I feel just so set and then present in my body. Um, so to see those improvements was, as an athlete and as a woman, it, it's a phenomenal feeling. Um, I also had amazing team members from all around the world. And although I changed uh, coaches every few years, which I felt was a natural progression in a tennis player's career, um, I got to learn and extract so much valuable information and knowledge from each one of them. And it was this interesting mix of cultures like uh, my fitness coach was Japanese for a period of time Um, my coach was from Amsterdam and Dutch and has this interesting sense of humor and all of us coming together and sharing stories and knowledge um, and and being friends and occasionally enemies when I wasn't happy with them but to be able to to win and lose together I think it teaches you so much about your social skills about how you deal with pain, how you deal with emotions. Everyone ha- faces different challenges in mm-hmm. their life. And it was just, I felt like I learned a lot about myself by interacting um, with my team members. Um, and winning certainly helps. Um, seeing your improvements against opponents that were difficult to beat in, you know, in, in the beginning of your career and seeing how you match up against them and how you've improved your game, the challenges that they presented in front of you and how all of a sudden they're they're no longer challenges anymore um that keeps things fun in mm-hmm. my opinion um and i also enjoyed the travel like i really enjoyed walking through the airports and knowing that no matter how far away from my family i was or holidays that i could always get on a plane and go home mm-hmm. like I had this sense of connection to travel that I was eager to spread my wings and, and go away and put myself in in circumstances that were far from what I was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But I also knew that on any given day, if it was too much for me or or I lost or I won and I wanted to go home, that mm-hmm. it was easily accessible. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good like sort of global perspective to get out of that. And I imagine, like you said, having that team environment and such a diverse sort of crew around you um, makes for a really interesting experience. How is it like to sort of grow up? Like you're growing up as you're sort of growing into your professional career and, you know, there's a lot of pressure more so than most teenagers are enduring. Yeah, I started my career as a very shy individual. Um, I was thrown into the sport because of, of my love for it and my passion and and my ability and and my growth throughout it. But I I had to learn how to mature because I you know I left my mom from a young age I didn't see her for the first two years I was under my father's wing and 
it's not the same. I didn't have mm-hmm. that that feminine um, female next to me to to help me grow up, and so I had to find ways um, through the sport. I mean, travel was certainly part of it. Um, even like very small um, interviews and press conferences that I did, I would finish the press conference and I couldn't wait to read it because I wanted to see how the interviewee or the writer would, would put the story and frame it together and, and position my words into no, into this, this whole piece in a magazine or a newspaper. Mm-hmm. So it was like these small extractions that I would... I would think that helped shape me. Um, mm-hmm. I also studied. I mean, I although it was like a, a high school over the internet, um, my mom was adamant about my studies. She would cut books and put them into into sections and folders for me. So I was on the road with a lot of material in Russian yeah. and in English. That's cool. Um, another thing I'm curious to know about is sort of, you know, your transition or growth through the sport and sort of the rise in valuing women in sport and there's obviously still disparity there but I wonder what was your experience like and how do you sort of see it now? Yeah what really helped shape my frame of mind was that I was I was a female in a very strong and very passionate sport where I could express myself Mm. and how I was feeling and it was emotional in that way um but through all that emotion, it made me feel very calm and secure. Like I, w- without any makeup, with sweating, with having so many eyeballs on you, it was those moments where I felt so comfortable. And I think that's the power um, of female, of, of having this internal elegance, mm-hmm. but yet this, this, this powerful um, aura around you. And I respected that and I appreciated it. And I knew that although I wanted to beat my opponent across the net, Mm -hmm. I knew that all the females that I was competing against had that same feeling because I felt it and I knew that they would. So I embraced it. You know, I I loved having, um, I guess I'd say, deficits on which I had to work on. When I look at a a male competitor playing the sport, I only learn from them. I gain knowledge. I look Mm -hmm. at how they train. I look at how they compete. I look at how flexible they are on the court, um, all the incredible tricks and then their power and their finesse. Mm -hmm. And I try to gain that and through, through my own ways, right? Maybe I know that some of that is unattainable for me, but that's, that's a high standard. And I try Mm -hmm. to apply that in everything that I do as well. Yeah. No, I think like you described, something I haven't really thought about is that being on the court, in in front of everyone's eyes and being able to be yourself and be that sort of raw, be emotional, be able to put it all out there and for that to be okay, you know, yeah. and that to feel safe enough. Did that yeah. strength translate into other parts of your life as you grew up? Yeah, I I don't think I realized like that, such a contrast mm-hmm. of being, because I think people perceive me as, you know, I was always wearing a nice tennis dress and I was blonde and I was tall. And when people thought of me, they would consider me as a beautiful tennis player. And when I would go on the court, I considered myself as a fighter. Like I never gave up to the last point. I didn't care if they were beating me six, zero, five, zero. And that had nothing to do with the dress I was wearing or the earrings that I was wearing um, or how I looked on the court. It had everything to do with my attitude. And, and that's what I, relied on in my career um 
And that's the thing that I could control, right? That I, I could control my emotions. I can control the ups and downs um, emotionally as I was going through every single point. Yeah. Was it a struggle for you to have to deal with people maybe not seeing that much as they saw the earrings and the dress and right. like, the pretty woman? Yeah, I I knew that if I would win that um, they would notice all the other things and that yeah. they would notice the drive and the focus and the determination. And what I loved about my sport is that I didn't have to talk. I didn't mm-hmm. have to speak about my talent or if I was good. Um, I I could just let people determine that by mm-hmm. how well I did on the court. And I think that's what that's what drew me to the sport and, and kept me there for a very long time. Yeah. So at what point of your career did you start integrating strength training into into your practices and sort of supplementary training? What's funny was in the beginning of my career I didn't focus much on fitness or strength or cardio. I spent so many hours on the court that a lot of a lot of my vision, a lot of my training was just there. Like I'd I'd wake up and I'd go serve out of you know, on a public tennis court for 30 minutes, just work on my target placement. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'd go and train for two hours. I'd take a little nap, have lunch that my mom would make. I'd get back on the court and do some stretching after. Mm-hmm. And that's great when you're young. <laughs> like it's, it's a fantastic system. It works well. You can do all the repetition. Mm-hmm. But the older I got, the smarter I started to train. Mm-hmm. And I also realized that I didn't need so much quantity. I didn't need as much repetition as I did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I realized that the, the time blocks um, were much more efficient in what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I became much more knowledgeable and educated about fitness and how those components became the foundation of my sport. And mm-hmm. strength was certainly one of them. And I'd say I incorporated strength a little later in my career. Um, I find like many females probably um as a teenager in my early 20s when i thought of strength um i thought of like bulky right yeah. i thought of like bigger biceps and then bigger calf muscles and it's actually what i learned it's actually the opposite is that if you have strength if you incorporate strength into your twice three times a week um it becomes a foundational element of everything else you do of the cardio output that you have mm-hmm of the of the fitness regimen that you have on the tennis court of all those ladder drills of the jump rope drills mm-hmm. every this whole holistic cycle just becomes better you feel fitter you feel stronger um and then not in that um intimidating way that i think many perceive strength to be yeah there's definitely sort of a an aura to overcome with that i think um in so many sports and just for so many people yeah. that exercise just for for health yeah, particularly for, for women, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. When, when you think of, of training in general, um, I always, I want it to be strong, but I want it to be lean. Mm-hmm. And the component of strength and the way that you you work on your strength has to be smart. It has mm-hmm. to be persistent and consistent, but it has to be adjusted to your own well-being. Like, mm-hmm. strength is very individual. There's no, not one system works for everyone. And I think that's that's what's so interesting about mm-hmm. fitness in general is yeah. that you have to really, you have to know your body before you do anything else. Yeah, which is, I think, something a lot of people don't do. You know, they want a, a trainer to tell them what to do and they don't need to think about it and they don't need to get in tune with their body. But you seem very sort of in tune with that process, engaged with the 
the evolution of your training, your practicing, um, you know, and holistically with the sort of design in your life, the, the other interests outside yeah. of sport. Yeah, I'm, I'd say I'm a minimalist in, in nature and I've tried a lot of things in, in my life and in my career, almost like a guinea pig in a yeah. way, um, where there was tools, whether it was accessories, whether it was clothes. And I was always attracted to pieces in my life that would last forever, whether it's the material that you, yet you wear on your skin, mm-hmm. whether it's the lotion that you put on every morning. Um, what does it do for you? How does it make you feel? And can you live with it forever? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how... That's how I think of everything. That's how I think mm-hmm. of my fitness. It's how I think of beauty. Um, it's how I think of home decor. Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot of things. Like, I don't want to put things under the bed because I want to use them later. Like, everything that I have in my life, I want to see and I want to use. I want to touch and feel. Yeah. So, in the last year, we've obviously, um, before that, you know, I saw on your Instagram, you're doing boxing and all sorts of yes. training, all sorts of different sort of places outside and inside. And that's changed and evolved in the last year. And um, now you need less things. <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, I need less things yeah. and I need less people. Yeah. <laughs> I've realized. Yeah, I thought that uh, during during the course of my career, I'd always ask my trainers, like, what do you think I would do or I would need um, when I finish? Like, what would mm-hmm. my body need? And everyone kind of had different responses. And what I learned is... You have to create that for yourself. Like, mm-hmm. no one can really tell you what you want to do. Yeah. But there are a few things that I thought were really important. The first being consistency. Mm-hmm. You don't get results by not being consistent with what you do. If there's something that you're willing to try, you have to do it for a longer period of time. It's not mm-hmm. a few times. It's not a few weeks. It might take months. It might take a year for you mm-hmm. to see results in the way that your body's shaped, in the way that you feel, and your energy output. Mm-hmm. Um so those are like the lessons that I'm, I'm still learning. Like it's mm-hmm. been just over 12 months and I'm understanding that what, what's working for me is having, having a place to go to, right? What, if it's in my home, it's in my home. Like mm-hmm. dedicating that time of the day. I love to wake up in the morning and I love going to my basement. I've, I was always adamant about not having a gym at my home for, <laughs> for all the years I was playing. I was, I built my home and, and the architects couldn't believe that I wasn't building a gym. And every day they're like, are you sure? Are you sure? It's by the time we build this thing, it's going to be too late. And I was like, you're crazy. I, yeah. <laughs> I see gyms every day. The last thing I want to see is equipment in my home. Yeah. Well, little do I know, I yeah. now want a gym. <laughs> yeah. And I've had to work with what I had. And so in the basement, I've built a little like designated area, um, a space where I have a few pieces of fitness equipment. And I go down there and I dedicate an hour, hour and a half of five, six days a week Mm -hmm. to myself and to my mind and to my body. And sometimes the routine changes. You Mm -hmm. know, sometimes I just want a little yoga flow Mm -hmm. and I'll turn on the tonal and I'll be like, today, I just want to work on my mind a little bit. And Mm -hmm. others, I'd say, you know, I need, I need to push myself here. Like I I want to work hard today. I want to sweat. I want to feel like at the end of this, I accomplished something really strong for my body. Yeah. And do you find with the tonal, you're able to have that sort of variety that you had when you had access to everything now within your house? Variety is really important, um, especially for someone that has traveled the world and has seen so many different methods Mm -hmm. and always worked out with people as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I love having the interactive ability to see 
how the coach is performing a certain move, mm -hmm. what are they saying, how are they shaping the workout for me, mm -hmm. um, that interaction, it makes it feel more personal. Mm -hmm. And it also, like, you need something that gets you down there, you yeah. know, to the, like, for me, it was the basement, or others, it's like a corner in their living room. Mm -hmm. You need that determination, and you need that connection to either it's a certain program, right, or mm -hmm. it's a certain goal you have in your mind that really shapes the, the identity of, of your of your output. Yeah. And obviously before, while you were still playing, you had a real clear purpose to sort of inspire that action. Yes. How about now? How has that sort of evolved? Is it more yeah. of a sort of holistic longevity and health? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> purpose is such a strong word. And I don't think I focused on it as much when I was playing because it was, it was naturally given to me. Like I knew what that purpose was. I, I I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be a champion. I wanted to be number one. Mm -hmm. And in the second chapter of my life, that purpose, it has to change. It's not natural to think that you're going to be number one in everything that you do. You're not going to be number one in making that <laughs> omelet in the morning, yeah. you know? And I'm still working on that. And I don't think it's a process. Like, you know, when I retired, people say, oh, you're going to be fantastic at everything that you do. And I was like, no, what makes you say that? I, I actually have no idea, and neither do you, yeah. because I have years to grow on something. I have yeah. years to build on on this foundation and base, and whether that's business, whether that's scaling back and saying, I just want to be present for, for my family, or mm -hmm. I want to explore the world, whatever that is, you still have to find ways of, of building that purpose and building that passion. And mm -hmm. I think many people face that, right? And yeah. And I... I'm okay with knowing that it's not about being number one in the world in my sport. Yeah. Well, I think even just the experience of you actually being number one in the world at your sport is pretty rare, you know, whenever people are developing purpose. And I find myself sometimes watching athletes specifically and I'm like, wow, I'm just probably not going to be the best in the world at this one thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we all think of the feeling that you might have with being achieving the number one of mm -hmm. a sport or, or whatever profession you're in um, or winning a Grand Slam, for mm -hmm. example. But it's not what it's all made up to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I say that in the most realistic perspective because we always think of like that last moment of getting to that victory. But you win it and it's fantastic and you get a trophy and then, you know, you put it in a cupboard that you, you know, most likely don't ha get access to. You don't see every single day, mm -hmm. but it's the memories of that journey that you always look back to and that you're incredibly proud of. Mm -hmm. I don't ever, when I think of my victories, I always think of the moments within those matches where I struggled and I had to pull through mm -hmm. that made that victory so much better for me. Yeah. And not necessarily like, I don't even remember who handed me those trophies, mm -hmm. even though that was like the biggest moment of, of my life. Right. Yeah. I remember kissing the trophy cause I see pictures <laughs> of it occasionally, but like, I don't remember those moments as clearly as I remember the moments of where I was about to lose it all. Mm -hmm. And then I found a way to win it. And yeah. that's what made that victory so special. So, you know, when people say it's about, it's not about the results, about the journey along the way. And yeah. I know that it becomes a little repetitive, but if you think about what you're doing today and, and the work and the ethic and how you apply yourself mm -hmm. to this end goal, 
this is what's amazing. This yeah. is what is making life amazing. Of, I mean, I, I say this opportunity, but you know, we're around people today again, mm-hmm. little by little, sharing our experiences, our stories, and and that I think ultimately helps us grow. It helps mm-hmm. us be a better person. It helps us communicate better, and it just helps us gain a little bit more self-esteem in ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just finding those opportunities to reach a little bit deeper push ourselves a little bit more and it could be making the omelet in the morning yes. or it could be a hard training session and yeah, yeah. that is the the journey yeah sometimes when i speak fun. about wellness it's like a little like am i like speaking hokey pokey a little <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but in the in its true deep form it is when i was very young i lost this match that i thought was so important to me is at the australian open and i got off the court and called my dad and or no my dad was actually there and i and he said to me that this this whole journey it's it's not about sprinting to mm-hmm. the finish line and i couldn't it didn't like i couldn't grasp that in the moment i was mm-hmm. so upset at him for saying that because it was it was such a valuable match and it was a bad result for me because i had lost but he said it's a marathon yeah and this is just all part of the marathon and in the moment, it was it seemed like like terrible advice, but with every year, I was like, "Oh God, my father's so smart." <laughs> I'd never tell him that, but <laughs> you know, it was is a really good approach that I had. It's it's about longevity. It's about yeah. those those ups and downs, and and how you how you face them, and who you are. Yeah, absolutely. I think some life experience and perspective is always a valuable thing to get, even if it's hard to hear. <laughs> yes, it always is. I think we always look back on those those thoughts from the people that are close to to us in our lives and wherever we are on this path to um to success or failures we're always appreciative of that advice Mm -hmm. so one of the things i found unique about looking at you from the outside is this sort of diverse um interest that you have from architecture and design to fashion to being able to actually create and co-create products and um, from furniture to clothing, and I wonder how that sort of journey unfolded for you as you were still competing at a super high level. I was always very curious by nature from a young age. I don't exactly know where that came from, but I I loved seeing how things were made. I loved meeting other people, although I was a shy individual. I, I wasn't afraid to ask questions that maybe didn't make sense or made me, you know, feel or look and not as knowledgeable as they were um i never wanted to be someone that knew everything in the room i didn't feel that that could help me grow or shape me um as a person i was also slightly scared of being one-dimensional because being a tennis player was the only thing this identity that people associated me with Mm -hmm. and I was skeptical of that because I had these other passions and I had these interests and they were very real. They weren't mm-hmm. just on the surface or it wasn't just what I wanted. It was actually who I was. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would come home and I would do research on designers or architects. When I traveled the world, I would take photographs of Frank Gehry buildings all around the world and I, that would be my souvenir. I'd make little postcards mm-hmm. of it and send them back to my mom. So I loved learning about the world. I think travel and culture shaped that. And mm-hmm. and with that comes knowledge and a little bit more confidence to try those things on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say it's a, it's a healthy distraction when, you, when you're committed to one thing in life. It's yeah. nice to have these other avenues that you can fall back upon mm-hmm. when you may have, you know, if you have a tough day, 
on the court, but you come home and you have this project that you're working on that's that's colorful and that's full of art and that gives you the great satisfaction and it's something else that you have another chance on improving. Um, those things made me happy and I and I felt like they were a holistic part of, of my life and my lifestyle. Yeah, well, that's great that you had that and seem to be encouraged to have that because I think, you know, as you come to retirement, there's so many athletes that struggle with that sense of identity because it is so wrapped up with their sport and, and the perception of them. But it seems like, you know, better than most, maybe you're able to sort of transition and, and be able to dive in even maybe deeper into some of those other interests. And this sense of identity is a, is a really, it's a strong topic mm-hmm. because as we go through lives, I think our interests change, our passion changes, and we like to change avenues in life. Like mm-hmm. I, I had my first chapter, um, you know, there were incredible, incredible achievements and there were, you know, results that I would have liked to change. Um, but it is what it is. And as you look forward, you you always have to find things in life that gives you, give you a new perspective mm-hmm. and, and help shape a new identity as well. Yeah. And on that sort of topic of balance, you know, we're somewhat similar in age and we've grown up in this like crazy technological evolution um, for just humans. And, you know, we're talking about tonal and how smart it is and the features that it has. Do you find that you need to consciously balance the sort of technology and innovation with being in nature and finding sort of that quiet, like you live near the beach and maybe even just like the ocean? Yeah, there there are two very important um, things in life, like the, this balance of nature and being close to the ground and, and, you know, being in fresh air, but also applying what I'd say is smart technology into your life that makes your life better and easier. And I think that's where tonal fits into, into my life. Um, things that help shape the way that I live every day um, in an approach that feels healthy, mm-hmm. it's not overwhelming, um, and also approachable. Like it feels like natural that it, mm-hmm. it belongs there, and it's not something that someone had to place or that I have to commit to. Mm-hmm. Um, life is so much better when it's your choice and it's something that you want to live with and it's something that you want to do. So if you can apply those elements, and whether it is beauty, whether it is home fitness, mm-hmm. um, that help shape who you are and, and, and your body and your vision um, and that make it natural, although it's it's technology focused, I think is, is the best way to do to go about it. Yeah, I think sort of using them as tools and ways to, to harness the sort of natural self is better than being reliant, which unfortunately too many people seem to be. Exactly. Yes, yeah. unfortunately. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Whether you listen to it on Spotify, Apple, or through our website, it would be great to hear your feedback and thoughts. If you're able to leave a review, it'll really help us share the message and share the podcast with more people. Thank you.